Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host Icy Cedric, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore with Icy or welcome back if you are indeed a regular. Now we've been doing a fairy friendly theme this June although to be honest with you the last two episodes that we did they weren't exactly friendly fairies if you catch me drift. But I thought because the whole thing has been themed around fairies because it's almost midsummer and that is I'll just quickly check my calendar. Monday the 24th of June is going to be midsummer also known as the summer solstice so that is our longest day and then after that the sun's going to start going away again which basically means shorter days and longer nights obviously i'm up in the frozen north of england and we're just kind of used to that but never mind so this week because of the fact that we've been looking at the darker side of fairies so to speak and obviously we've got midsummer coming up we've got the theme with shakespeare's midsummer night's dream I thought we'd have a look at how to make a fairy friendly garden. Now this is using folklore rather than how we're going to actually plan a garden and dig stuff and build things and so on because I'm not Monty Don. So we're going to look at the folklore side of things. If you don't know who Monty Don is you need to watch Gardener's World. But anyway let's get on with it. Now obviously the idea of fairies at the bottom of the garden is nothing new. Lots of people when interviewed will say when they were a child they thought that there were fairies at the bottom of their garden and I do think a lot of this particular conception probably comes from the infamous Cottingley fairy photos which were created by a pair of bored sisters using a camera and fairy illustrations obviously nowadays it would probably be snapchat filters or photoshop but obviously in those days you may do with what you had and these particular fake photos actually sold for £20,000 in October 2018 I did see them at an exhibition and there is something peculiar about seeing them in person on paper compared to the digital reproductions that you get online. But anyway, and also if we're going to talk about gardens and fairies, you have to think about Cicely Mary Barker's Flower Fairies of 1923. And I think that's probably most people's introduction to fairies as children. And there's a lovely reproduction of the acorn fairy over on my blog. And if you want to double check any of this information or indeed see photos of what I'm going to talk about, if you go to www.icsedgwick forward slash fairy hyphen friendly hyphen garden or click the link in the description for this episode, then you'll be able to see all the pictures, which is grand. So let's get cracking. For Claire Normid, fairies are natural gardeners and they care for all growing things. So it would make sense to have them in your garden. Some people also think that fairies actually help keep the garden healthy. Cassandra Eason, on the other hand, divides fairies into different groups. She talks about the flower fairies of the country garden, and each of these groups reflect the nature of the terrain that they inhabit. So if you have fairies in your garden, it's understandable that they would be linked with flowers. But if you want to create a fairy-friendly garden, where should you start? Well, if you do have space in your garden, then planting trees can certainly help. They obviously provide shade in the summer, shelter from rain showers in the autumn and trees also help to provide air quality which is why we're hoping that they're not going to cut them down where I live. Now to attract fairies Claire Normand actually suggests rowan, apple, 
birch, elder, ash and oak. I would actually avoid rowan trees because it's woods traditionally used to ward off fairies. So if you want to keep fairies out of your garden, that's probably the tree for you. Meanwhile, growing an elder tree by your door should actually protect your house from both evil and lightning. The link with oak trees is an old one, and there's a rhyme, fairy folks are in old oaks, which explains how many actually thought the fairies lived in oak trees. When I was researching this episode, I did actually find people recommending you and willow. You does make quite a good choice for hedges, but it is extremely poisonous, so if you're going to have kids in your garden, you might want to give the you a miss, and willow trees just look weird if they're not next to a river. Obviously, not everyone has a garden large enough to accommodate trees, and you don't necessarily want the foundations of your house undermined by tree roots. So, let's take things down to ground level, shall we? Obviously, association between flowers and fairies goes back far beyond Barker's flower fairy paintings. And for one thing, let's go back to A Midsummer Night's Dream, and you've got the flower that Oberon gives to Puck to cause his mischief. If you do want to put flowers in, you've got so many choices. Narmid suggests henbane, clover, lavender, snowdrops, rosemary, lilacs, ferns, meadowsweet, nightshade, mandrake and foxgloves. I do think henbane is a bit of a weird choice given its highly pungent and deeply unpleasant aroma and also the fact that it's poisonous. Lavender on the other hand makes total sense because if you mix that with chamomile, rose and mugwort you can actually attract fairies on Midsummer's Eve. It's also popular with bees and you can dry it out to make sleep sashes, so it's just a nice plant to have in your garden. Ferns can also be a ticket of riches. Apparently if you stand among ferns late at night and stay completely silent, pucks should appear and give you a bag of gold. I haven't tried that in my garden with my ferns yet, but if I suddenly stop doing the podcast then you know why. Foxgloves are a huge favourite with the fairies. According to one legend, the little white spots that you get on the inside of the pink ones are actually marks left by fairies. And in other stories, fairies showed foxes how to ring the flowers to warn other foxes about hunters in the area. Alternatively, the fairies actually gave the flowers to foxes to sort of wear them like little slippers to deaden their footfalls so that hens wouldn't hear them coming. I'd also like to add the fuchsia to this list. Apparently the flowers actually make quite a good hiding place for fairies and if you live in the right climate they're also a favourite of the hummingbird. Fuchsia bushes are just lovely as well. They're one of the few plants that I did a post on where I couldn't find anything negative about them so they're a good choice to have in your garden. And also you could think about bluebells. Fairies actually use bluebells to summon their kin. Just try to avoid hearing them yourself because they'll be your death knell. Uh, Some people actually advise hanging bells in your garden to attract fairies but I would say just put bluebells in instead because that's what they prefer to use. Holly is a good choice near windows or doors. And in earlier centuries, people actually like sort of placed huge mounds of holly branches around their homes in the winter. I can't help thinking this is probably like a really early form of insulation. But apparently the branches also became a form of shelter for any fairies that lived nearby. Because you also plant holly to deter evil spirit, that I think does imply that not everyone thought fairies were evil. If none of these plants take your fancy, consider petunias, sunflowers, columbines, snapdragons, violets and pansies. You'll notice with quite a lot of them, they do come in blue and purple varieties, both of which are colours favoured by bees. So you can probably start to see a bit of a theme happening. If you do want your fairy friendly garden to be useful, you can also try a herb section. And as well as rosemary, which I mentioned earlier, there's also thyme, 
which is useful for cooking or you could also put in St John's wort and heather. Margaret Baker actually relates a belief that St John's wort moves away from anyone about to pick it and if you actually stand on it you'll be carried off on a ferry horse and then you'll just be dragged off through the night and then dropped off somewhere far from home the next morning. So it might be an idea to only plant it if you don't plan on pulling it up again. Another thing that you might want to think about having in a fairy friendly garden is a fairy ring. You get loads of links between fairy rings and folklore and Jacqueline Simpson and Steve Rowde explain that people thought the the circles of like really dark grass in a meadow showed where fairies had danced. Cassandra Eason actually thinks that having a fairy ring beside your house is a good omen and if you want to see the fairies run around it nine times clockwise. Don't do it anti-clockwise though, that's just generally never a good idea. In the Northern Hemisphere anyway. Sitting in a fairy ring at the full moon apparently makes wishes come true. But you have to avoid doing that during fairy revels or you might be drawn into the ring and made to dance without stopping until dawn. Something very, very similar happens in Jonathan Strange and Mr Norrell. In a tale from Herefordshire, a mother did actually manage to rescue her daughter. A whole year later, after she'd basically been dancing without stopping for a year, she grabbed her dress and pulled her out of the ring, but she had to do it in silence. And her daughter thought like a couple of hours had gone by rather than a whole year. Fairy rings do have a slightly more mundane reason behind them. They're actually created by an underground fungus. Occasionally, it pops up above ground, which gives you like the little ring of toadstools that you may have seen. It's quite hard to create a fairy ring yourself, but you could always try laying out a, a ring of nice stones or something on your lawn if you just want to give them a bit of an invitation that there's a ring there. And obviously it's nicer than toadstools. So what are some best practices for a fairy garden? Well, once you've got everything actually up and running and everything sound, Narmad actually recommends that you don't uproot established trees and plants. If you do need to remove weeds, do it carefully and not when they're in flower. But you could always remember that weeds are just basically flowers that grow somewhere you didn't put them, so do you really need to take them out? Narmad also says that if you can't use them for food or medicine, put them on your compost heap so nature can recycle them. It's a good idea to be eco-friendly in your gardening practices wherever you can be because obviously fairies are nature spirits. So don't use commercial fertilisers and try and use natural alternatives where you can. So homemade compost is a good idea or just some good old-fashioned manure if you can get a hold of that from somewhere nearby. Absolutely do not use pesticides. You don't want an over-manicured lawn anyway because for one thing clover is a brilliant favourite for bees. It's quite nice at this time of the year to obviously give them something to eat and also do not use slug pellets as well slugs are horrible yes but they can also kill hedgehogs so either get the hedgehog friendly ones or just let the hedgehogs eat the slugs because that is what they're for choose natural materials wherever you can so if you are going to have paving try using natural stone rather than concrete or bricks and also where possible plant plenty of low shrubs which will help give shelter from the rain if you do want to include statues in your fairy friendly garden it's a good idea to use stone ones. I mean, plastic would just ruin the effect. And if you have stone ones, they can often acquire moss or lichen, which fairies also love, and they just look cool. Consider building a rock garden. Obviously, if you want to put one in with the correct kind of plants, alpine plants are the best things for rock gardens. But fairies like stone walls because they can basically squeeze into the gaps between the stones. Other insects also do, so you might get beetles or helpful spiders. I know a lot of people really don't like spiders and I think it's quite a shame because they are actually quite handy with all the things that they eat. So if you have problems with mosquitoes or midges and things like that in your garden, few spiders, they'll sort that out for you. 
the final point that I want to make about fairy friendly gardens, I actually found this quite contentious. Some people recommend adding some kind of small fountain stream or pond to give fairies a water source, but other people say that fairies don't like running water. So I think you could get a nice compromise between the two by just adding a bird bath. So even if fairies don't use it, the local bird population certainly will. And that's basically the key to a fairy friendly garden. So in summary, choose plants that are bee and butterfly friendly because there seems to be a link between what fairies like and what bees and butterflies like. Create spaces for small animals or birds to live and feed. Make sure they always have water. And above all, keep your garden eco-friendly and free of litter. Because if wildlife enjoys your garden, then fairies will too. You might be going, this is all well and good, but I've only got a small balcony or a patio. That's fine. Put some of these flowers and plants in pots or tubs. Keep them watered and happy. And who knows who or what you'll attract. So what I would like to know is, do you have a fairy-friendly garden or would you like one? Please feel free to tweet me at IC Sedgwick and that's I-C-Y-S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. I'll put the link in the show notes though. That is it for this week's show. We are doing one final episode on fairies next week and then I'm going to change the theme for July. I haven't decided what it is yet so if you've got any specific requirements or requests again please tweet me. Leave a comment on this blog post. Again the link is in the description and let me know what you'd like to hear more about next. So that is it. Have a wonderful midsummer on Monday. If it's past midsummer, then I hope you had a nice one and I will see you next week. Cheerio. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com. And that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely fab week ahead and I'll see you soon. Cheerio.